So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 still. And um, we're at this part. We talked last time about fellowship and how Paul dealt with the divisions that were going on in the body of Christ. And I'm not going to review all that. Um, we, we just talked about a lot of different wrong ideas uh, involved in, in what our true, the nature of our fellowship, the nature and ground of our union in Christ is. And so he gets in here in verse 13. Let me just read 13 through 17. Okay. He says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, besides that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, <clears throat> but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. All right. You know, I wondered if I should talk about baptism again. I talked about in the Colossians class like eight or nine months ago. uh, I talked about baptism when we got to uh, one of the verses in in Colossians chapter 2. And I wondered if I should just reference that for people that are interested. I know there's some people in this class that weren't there for that one. And anyway, I... I kind of decided to say some things about it again, uh, it's spe- uh, specifically because Paul kind of goes out of his way here to say that he was not sent to baptize, and 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 there's just a, there's a lot of confusion um, about baptism in the body of Christ, and honestly, the the actual practice of of water baptism isn't really something I care much about arguing about, really. But what is what is important to me is the the way that people exchange shadows for substance. That's a big deal. And um, old covenant figures continue in the body of Christ um, without people knowing and experiencing new covenant spiritual realities. That to me is absolutely huge. And so that that fact combined with the fact that Paul specifically says he was not sent of the Lord to baptize in water, I figured I should uh, talk a little bit about just what is the substance, what is the shadow of baptism, and maybe say a little bit more than I did in the Colossians class about that too. And I I know, you know, just bring it to the Lord. My heart in this is not to... um, uh, my, my heart is not to be contentious about this. My heart is really to just um, expose just the silliness and the outwardness of our relationship with of Christians' attempts to relate to God. And really to, and really my, my, what I want to do is invite everyone that's listening to this out of the outward shadows and into the inward reality and to have you not be willing to settle for anything less than the the spiritual fulfillment of these outward shadows. You know, in the church today, in, in what's called the church, there's this thing called sacraments. And 
Um, the Catholics say there are seven sacraments. Uh, the Protestants say there's only two. The Bible doesn't even have that word in it. Nor does it teach what I think either camp teaches about these things. The idea of, of a sacrament in the in the church is, and I know I'm I'm stepping on a lot of toes when I talk about these things. I just honestly, at this point, the the price of stepping on toes doesn't seem worth the cost of people getting shorted out of experiencing the reality of what these natural figures point to and the reality of them working in the heart. So I just I guess I don't care that much about stepping on toes, maybe as much as I would have in the past. The idea of a sacrament is that, usually, uh, that it's some kind of a natural thing that is done with the body or with you know some activity that somehow imparts spiritual grace to the soul. That's kind of generally the idea behind it. And, um, and I just think that it's really plain in Scripture and really obvious in the light that no such thing exists that 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 is a that's an that's an interesting idea but you can see where where that idea comes from it comes from man who wants to be able to do natural things to accomplish spiritual results and then to be able to all, all the control and all of the uh, self-righteousness and all of the whatever that goes with that and um i i think i could say pretty pretty confidently that the bible doesn't have anything to do with that idea uh, man created that idea. Uh, there are natural things that testify of spiritual things. The Bible is full of that reality. There are spiritual things that are made visible by natural um, shadows or illustrations. The Bible is full of that reality. But the idea that the shadows somehow naturally give you the spiritual substance, that's not in the Bible <laughs> anywhere. And I... I um, I just feel like it's time to just kind of say that, and uh, that that goes for what Christians call the sacraments as well. There's just no way that I'll tell you what. If I thought that there was something that my body could do, whether it was anything, eating something, drinking something, or dunking myself, or being dunked in water, I that that would somehow give me a greater experience of the the life and light of Jesus Christ. I would be doing it every day, all day long. You wouldn't be able to get me to stop doing it to talk about this class. That would be, because that's what I want to experience all day, every day, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, as I want to experience the grace and life and light and power of the Lord Jesus Christ in my soul. And, and, and if I was convinced by scripture or by reason or by any other way that anything natural could accomplish that, then you'd have a real hard time prying me away from how happily I would do that to please the Lord and to gain, you know, whatever I could gain from that. But I'm convinced that that's not true. Paul, in fact, says in Ephesians chapter 4 that there is one baptism. There's one baptism in the new covenant. There was one baptism that was a shadow that pointed to the new covenant baptism, which was John's baptism, which was a baptism of water. But there, in the gospel, there's really only one baptism, which is why he says he was not sent to baptize. 
if baptizing in water... Now, I'm going to get to the verses that people always bring up to argue about these things. But, but if, Paul, if, if baptism in water was, is, is really what Jesus intended in Matthew 28, for instance... That, that he sent out po- apostles to baptize that, to, to baptize people in water, then why in the world was Paul not sent to baptize in water? That's a really important question, one that I think deserves a little consideration. Paul did speak of baptism. He spoke about it in almost all of his letters, but he spoke about the one baptism. Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one expectation of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Um, I don't think that the calling and the faith, and the God, and the body, and the spirit are all spiritual, and that one baptism that he throws in that list of things is the only natural thing. You see, he says there's one of all of those things, and they're all spiritual, and they're all eternal, and and they all affect the soul. Not one of those things in the one list that he just gives there in Ephesians 4. It's like, yeah, all of these, all these things are, just think about how silly this is. All of these one things are spiritual. One Lord, one Father, one, one Spirit, one, except for the baptism. That's totally natural. Well, what is baptism? Baptism is being put down to death in the death of Christ, baptized into his, it's being, it's what, it's exactly what, what the, um, well, it's what the Ark of the Covenant, uh, I mean the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Noah, and, and uh, Noah's Ark, and, and, then, and then what Jesus did at, at the Jordan River, and, and, and what Israel did at the Jordan River, too, and what Israel did at the Red Sea. It's, it's, oh, there's tons of pictures of it in the Bible. It's about being judged in the death, in the water, going down in death and coming up again, and then coming up out of death to receive the dove, to receive the Spirit. To receive the life of God. That's what, um, that's what you see in the types and shadows. And that's what you see in, in, in your heart if, if your eyes have been opened by the Lord. What was the story of Noah's Ark about? It was about a baptism. Peter says that. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll get to that in a second. The story of Noah's Ark is about a, it's about a baptism into judgment. Into the death of all flesh. And, and then it's, it's about raising up and being seated on a new mountain, a new covenant, a new rainbow with a new covenant, a new creation coming out of the ark. And the, the first thing out of there, the first thing is, is the dove comes out of the ark. The dove finds a, looks for a place to land its feet. And that is the spirit of God that, that lands on a new creation that has Christ as the life and Christ as the substance of it. That's why the dove landed on Christ when he was baptized. It's the, he went down as a picture there, a shadow. But he went down and in John's baptism, he as the old, he, he fulfilling the, all righteousness, fulfilling the righteousness of the law, fulfilling the righteousness of man under the law, and then fulfilling, uh, fulfilling the righteousness of, of, of spirit. But he, he had to, in order to fulfill all righteousness, he had to be baptized by John. That's what he said. He had to. He had to be the man. He had to be the corporate Israel, the man that was that was put down in, into that baptism and brought back up to receive the Spirit. And right after that, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and then drove him around for three and a half years doing his ministry. But my point is that you go into death 
you come out. It's just, it, you know, it, 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 every story. And they're all so beautiful. They're all so perfect. The, the story of Israel crossing the Jordan River. Everyone knows the Red Sea one. We'll skip, we'll, everyone should know the Red Sea one and know the fact that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that they were baptized into the sea. He uses that same word. They went into it. They came out of it. All the flesh stayed in it. All the Pharaoh's army stayed in it. They couldn't come out of it. They went into it and couldn't come out of it. But Israel went in and came out. Well, it's the same thing with the Jordan River. They, they, the, the, the ark went into the Jordan River, the death, the, 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 and it made a way through death. A, a way was made through the Jordan River. And all of Israel, see what came out of that death? What All of Israel went into it, and then what came out of it was was 12 stones. Remember the 12, the whole, uh, it came out of the center of the river. Pull the 12 stones out of the center of the river, stack them up in a, and and if if your kids ever ask, what are these 12 stones? You can tell them that they came out of, that the Lord dried up this death for us, brought us out of it in his son and stacked us up in a new land. That was holy because then Joshua had to take off his shoes in front of the angel who was Christ. I know I'm, I'm referencing a whole bunch of scriptures. They're just kind of, as they pop into my head, but, what, so what I'm saying was, there's all these pictures of it, including John's baptism. John was the last of of, of the pictures, the last of the shadows. G- gathered up the whole, all the prophets prophesied till John. John was the end of that that um, that collection of arrows that pointed to Christ. That's why he said, "Behold, there's this, there's the Lamb. That's the one right there." He gave, he said it. What did he say? John said, "You know what? Here, let me get, make this really plain for you. I'm going to make this so you really, really understand it plainly. I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me, he baptizes in a different way. He baptizes with the Spirit of God and with fire. He doesn't take you down into a." picture of death he puts you into the fire of judgment he doesn't raise you up in a picture of uh, of a dove he actually puts you into his own spirit he does the whole thing well okay so what is baptism baptism is putting you into putting your soul into the death of christ and by doing so circumcising, cutting off the old man, cutting off the flesh and bringing out a new creature to live in and by the new life, to be raised up to walk in the new walk in new life, to be to, to be raised up in, and, and live in and by the spirit of God. What does Peter say about that? He says this, first Peter three, he says he's talking about how the spirit of Christ, I believe in Noah is what he's talking about was striving with the ancient world, um, those who were formerly disobedient. And while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, this is verse 20, yeah, verse 20, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an anti-type which now saves us. That word anti-type is, just means fulfillment of the type. It's, it's the uh, anti, anti-type is, like the type is the shadow, the anti-type is the fulfillment. It's the thing that the type was pointing to. Okay, so the fulfillment of the first Peter three, there the fulfillment of the type is what now f- saves us, and then he says baptism. But then he puts it, it well at least in English here. There's parentheses in my version, but he clarifies himself: not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but 
the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, not the picture, not the, like, look, the fulfillment of what, what, what we saw in the ark, Noah's ark, is what saves us. Not, not the rinsing away with natural water of the outward filth of the natural body. No, that doesn't do anything. Not the cleansing of the flesh with outward water, but the fulfillment of that, which is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where you come up out of that death that actually purifies. It gives you the solution of a good conscience. It, it purifies the conscience. It gives you the God's answer of a cleansed conscience before God, a clean inward man. So that's the, that's the baptism, that's the one baptism. Paul talks about this, this baptism in Romans 6.4. Therefore we were buried with him uh, through baptism into death, that, Christ, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even, the, even so we should walk through... I'm sorry, I'm stuttering. Even so, we should also walk in newness of life. That's pretty plain, you know, baptized into the death, going down, raised up by the life to walk in the newness of life. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty clear. I think it's the same thing he says here, Galatians 3.27, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, or Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, the baptism of John. Now you'll notice Jesus didn't baptize with water, even though his disciples did during that, the end of that time. Jesus wouldn't do it. He wanted to leave it really plain. It even specifically says Jesus himself did no baptizing, but his disciples did. You know, and and John and the disciples of John were baptizing, but Jesus wanted to make it really plain that that wasn't his baptism. He had his own baptism. That was John's baptism. And John, in, in all three of the Synaptic Gospels, I believe, says, and, in, and then Jesus himself says in Acts chapter 1, I'll get to that too, that he will baptize the one who is greater than John, the one who is the fulfillment of all that John is talking about. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. John, as I said before, John wraps up the whole first covenant. He's the one, all the law, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets testified until John, all of what they did was point their finger at the, at the one who was going to fulfill all their prophecies. That's what, John, that's what John did too. He just actually pointed his literal finger at the one who fulfilled all the prophecies. And not, didn't just declare him. He pointed, literally said, look, there he is. That's, that's him. That's the one right there. That's the guy. And so the, the figure or the symbols continue for a time. And then there's what the scripture calls the time of reformation or the, or the time of the fulfillment or the time in which God gathers up all things into Christ, gathers up all what things, all the pictures, all the shadows, all the promises, all the prophecies, all the natural external things. He gathers them all up and he shows them to be spiritual eternal realities in Christ. And if there's, and if there's some carryover, from the old into the new, it's because, and there was carryover, and I'll, I'll talk about more of that in a minute. But if there's carryover, it's because the soul does not learn the substance right away. It continues in the shadows until the coming, until the appearing, until the revealing of the substance. But the, but the point is that all of the figures have their fulfillment in the substance. 
all of the arrows, all of the shadows point to a living reality. Now the human heart, and this is something you all have to realize about yourself because it's true. I don't say it to offend you. Uh, if it does offend you, then um, then there's something you need to bring to the Lord there. But the human heart loves the shadows. We love things that we can do to make us feel spiritual. We love trying to spiritualize our activities, spiritualize our flesh. We love going to a building, doing something with our hands or with our mouth or with our bodies. Or, or, and, and we love feeling like that, like that actually accomplished something spiritual be, that we can check off a list or that we can control or that we can feel good about ourselves or what we can, whatever. We love that. There's something in us that just loves. That's why we love the word sacrament. That's why we love rituals and liturgies. That's why we love all that kind of stuff that is external, that doesn't affect the soul. Now, I'm not saying the Lord's never dealt with the soul while someone was doing any of those external things. I know that he probably has, but not because the external things in themselves have value, but because the heart was turned to the Lord, perhaps, during those external things. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to point out the fact that the external thing is usually loved because it makes the natural man feel spiritual. The, the, the leaders love, the, the, love those external things because we can dish them out and get paid for them. Uh, in, in, in a crude way of saying it, you know, we can promise people blessings if they come to our meeting and do those things, and we can promise them curses if they f- fail to come and do those things, and and so we just love those things. You know, give me ten percent because that'll, or, or, or you gotta, you know, be dipped in this water, or you gotta eat this little wafer, and that that just makes people feel real spiritual. Uh, both the giving and the receiving of it, and, and really, I'm not trying to offend anyone. That I really am not. I just listen. God is a spirit. And everything that he ministers to your soul that is grace is spiritual. And though in our hearts there is a blending and an overlapping of what is spiritual and and natural because of the ignorance and the darkness that still works in us. And though God winks, I believe, at some of our ignorance... Hoping, longing for the day that the substance will be all that we really experience and care about. That that doesn't make natural shadows valid realities in a spiritual covenant. The old covenant was natural. It was a time of figures, a time of shadows, a time of promises and prophecies. The new covenant is the spiritual reality and experience of all of those things. So, I'm not, honestly, this may sound weird after saying all that, I'm not actually against water baptism any more than I'm against circumcision. I'm not against either of those. Both of those things were pictures. They, they were figures that Israel had a really hard time letting go of. There's a whole bunch of outward figures and shadows and pictures that a natural people who had lived for hundreds of years with natural symbols, natural pictures, had a really hard time letting go of those natural things. And, and, and so they continued them. They continued them. Even Paul says, you know what, I did baptize the family of, you know, Stephanias or whatever, and Crispus and that other guy. I, think, I can't remember if I baptized anyone else. I'm glad I didn't baptize a lot. 
is what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He didn't say, you know what, everyone that I baptized with water is good, and everyone that I didn't needs to be baptized. He said, look, I think I baptized like this guy, this guy, and this other family, and maybe another guy or two, you know. That's basically what he was saying there. And, and, And then he says, just to be really plain, I don't remember, and I don't care, because Christ didn't send me to baptize with water. He sent me to baptize in another way. And, I, and I'll get I'll get to that, but I'm not against you know if you've been baptized with water I have too you know nothing I don't think there's anything bad about it I, I just think that there's nothing inherently good about it because it's really easy to be baptized with water and not experience not know not live in the reality of being baptized into Christ's death burial and resurrection and live in the newness of life and people have fought over baptism and fought over different kinds of baptism different different ages of baptism different sprinkling and dunking and splashing and you know and and rivers and pools and bathtubs and you know and and, and it split churches for for decades for I mean for centuries have fought over those things and and killed people literally killed people over that issue not not only is that that silly but it's it's completely in the wrong realm it's not even in the realm that touches your soul that's what makes it such a big deal to me it's it's not whether the practice is good bad or indifferent it's it doesn't do anything to the soul it can't touch the soul. So, Paul, in his epistles, was always dealing with people who were having a really hard time weaning off the former shadows, the Jewish pictures, things like baptism, things like the Sabbath, things like the feasts. You know, the funny thing is, we're 2,000 years later, we still don't get... What did he say? He said very plainly. He said, I don't know if I wrote it down, but in Galatians and, and in Colossians, you guys know the verse, he says, why are you going... He goes, I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. Why are you going to back to weak and worthless elements, the traditions, things like, and he says, Sabbaths, new moons, food and drink, those kind of things that he said indeed were shadows. I'm just going to read it because. Okay, here it is. Yeah. Here's the one from Galatians 4 8. But indeed, when, when you did not know God, you served those, thing, those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather have been known by God, how is it that you are turning again to the weak and beggarly elements, that word is stoichion, it has to do with shadows or pictures, basic ABCs of natural things that point to spiritual things, elements to which you desire to be in bondage again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. And in Colossians chapter 2-ish, here we go. So let no, this is in verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a feast or regarding a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things that come, but the substance 
is Christ. So, and there's other places too. In fact, a bunch of them in the book of Hebrews. There's probably uh, six or eight of them in, in the book of Hebrews where Paul, if he's the author of Hebrews, was saying, look, those were pictures. Those were times of, of, uh, of, of promises and natural pictures that Christ has fulfilled. And that, that covenant has been put away. My point is that he was laboring with them the people that were having a hard time letting go of those shadows, he was laboring to, to get them off the shadows and to get them into an inward experience of the thing that the, the, the shadows pointed to. And, and the Jews of the first century kind of had a, a better excuse than we do. The Jews of the first century had several centuries of, of a covenant of outward shadows. We have 2,000 years of an inward covenant that we have no idea even exists. And, and so I don't even know what Paul would say, would, would say to us. You know, John says, my ministry, you know, I'm going to, the whole thing, I, I must, he must increase, I must decrease. You know, what does that mean? That, that doesn't just mean his popularity. That means his whole administration. That means the whole law and the prophets prophesied till John, but now the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And John was pretty good, according to people born of a woman. And, and John's everything. John's the testimony, the baptism, everything of John. That's, gonna, that's supposed to have been decreasing as the other one was increasing. And here we are 2,000 years later, and the one is still in, in place, nice and firm, and, and the other one is, is unknown. We're still waiting for it. That's a problem. That's a problem. I think you can see that when Paul came back to Jerusalem, couple times he condescended to their small view of the substance and he proved to them that he was not against the law of Moses although he was under the law of Christ remember this he says look for your sake, for the sake of proving to you that I'm not contrary to the law of Moses, he went to the temple, he did a purification thing, he even circumcised Timothy for the Jews in Acts chapter 16. He condescended to the smallness, small, just like he did with food things. If people thought that it was wrong to eat a, a, a piece of meat that was sacrificed to a, a, a demon, Paul knew that that wasn't didn't affect the meat and it didn't it didn't spiritually make his body unclean either to eat it food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food and both perish but he said for the sake of the smallness of the view of truth the smallness of faith working in the believer i'll never eat meat again if, that, if it comes down to that he did the same thing with some of these things he he went back to jerusalem he proved to them that he wasn't against the mosaic law and he Basically, he didn't give in, I don't think, to their pressure. I think he, to the Jew, he became a Jew. To the Gentile, he became a Gentile, that he might win the ones that had soft hearts. And, and so he does that. And yet, when he's out among the Gentiles, that's when he says things like, I'm worried that you guys are going to these Jewish symbols and thinking that there's spiritual relevance in them. I'm, I'm worried that you guys think that I needed to baptize you with water for you to know the baptism of Christ. I'm glad I, I'm glad I just baptized a few of you guys. The, the, the biggest arguments against what I'm saying, and I just will cover these quickly because, again, my point isn't really to, to argue issues, but, but everyone has their objections. So 
the biggest one is that the early church baptized with water, and, and that's to me, to me that's not really an argument. The early church did a lot of things that that they didn't that were uh, illustrations of their um, lack of understanding the new covenant. That they were growing. They started off knowing nothing of. I mean, like. A, a few weeks before Pentecost, they were still arguing as they walked towards Jerusalem about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of, of, of Jesus and they're thinking about it being still totally natural. They weren't immediately, they were filled with the Spirit, but they weren't filled with all spiritual understanding or experience of the new covenant. They were growing. They were completely convinced that Gentiles weren't even going to be part of it. You know, among a bunch of other misunderstandings that come out as for as years go by over uh, the book of Acts, years, uh, decades go by, illustrating still their misunderstandings. They, the early church, did baptize with water. The early church still circumcised their boys too. They, they did that for years and thought that there was spiritual relevance to it. In fact, that was a huge debate. If you read the book of Acts, that was a huge issue. Paul had to go back to, to go back to Jerusalem to, to, to meet with the elders about that issue, whether or not the Gentiles had to be circumcised. That was an issue. That was a big debate. And that was a decade or 15 years after the resurrection. That wasn't just, a, that wasn't just like 10 minutes after. They they visited the temple. They did Jesus Jesus had told them that he was raising up a new temple. In three days he would raise it up. In the old temple, he literally had to f- literally remove it from the planet to keep them from continuing on in spiritualizing something natural, spiritualizing something that was only a temporary figure and shadow. They visited the temple. The, the early Christians did for decades, probably until seventy A.D. when it was destroyed. Um, even though we don't know that for, for a fact, but we know that throughout the book of Acts they were doing it. They were doing their figurative vows. Uh, they were doing cleanliness and or the, the, the figurative cleansing of the outward man. They continued in those things. Paul even came to uh, Jerusalem and, and kept a vow, shaved his head. Remember that whole thing? They were, what else? They were abstaining from unclean foods. Jesus himself had to deal with Peter about that and in, in a vision, and he still didn't get the point because Paul rebuked him later in Galatians chapter 2. You remember that? That was a, a slow learning process for not just Peter, I'm sure for all the Jews who had been raised up to think that there was literally cleanliness and uncleanliness in outward foods. Even though Jesus himself, when he was in the flesh, said, what goes into the mouth doesn't make you unclean, but what comes out... Remember, he said, he said all that stuff really plainly. They didn't get it. There was a transition going in, on in their hearts where the... The substance was being put away. I'm sorry. The shadow was being put away, and the substance was taking its place. The same process is what's supposed to be happening in our hearts. Now, they were what else? Uh, they were keeping various other aspects of the Mosaic Law. For instance, the Jewish Church wrote a letter to all the Gentile churches, telling them to abstain from meat that had been strangled which means that the blood was still in the meat. It hadn't, in other words, it hadn't been bled out. Like, you know, you hang the cow upside down, you cut its jugular and you bleed it out, and then there's no blood in the meat. But if, you, if, if the animal had been killed by strangulation, then all the blood's still in the meat. So the, 
what's my point? My point is that the Jews were writing to the Gentiles, giving out letters to Paul to take to the Gentiles and saying, look, you don't have to keep all the laws of Moses. And we've just decided 15 years later, you can stop circumcising your kids. But here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to do. You have to not eat meat with blood in it. Now, did, did they have a full view of the spiritual substance? Obviously not. James talks about how they were still anointing with oil. They were anointing with oil and praying for people. But John sees, not that James was wrong, but James was still dealing with the figure a little bit. Because the figure is true, but the substance replaces it. John says that the anointing that you received is the spirit who teaches you all things, right? So, um, what else? I have a whole bunch of them here. You, I think you guys get my, get my point. The fact that the, ch- that the church did any of these outward, early church did any of these outward things doesn't mean that those are things that need to, that were meant to continue when the substance had come. Or when the substance had come here. When the substance had appeared here to replace the shadows. Um, let's see here. There's interesting verses too. Like in Acts, in Acts chapter 16, there's, um, that's where Paul, gets, Paul uh, circumcises Timothy in Acts chapter 16. But then, it's funny because I was reading through that chapter recently. And, and Timothy believes. And because his dad is a Greek, Paul circumcises Timothy. A little bit later on, in the same chapter, the jailer believes and Paul baptizes him in water. And it's funny how we just pick, let's keep doing the second one, but not the first. You know, baptizing in water is easy, can make you feel spiritual. There's no pain, no blood, no flint knives involved. You know, and, and we keep the first part of Acts chapter 16, or the second part of Acts chapter 16, and we happily dump the first part. Uh, which had to do with the circumcision. And it's the same thing with so I mean, we do that all the time. It's like on the night before Jesus was betrayed, what did he do? Everyone says he taught them how to do communion. Well, you know what else he taught them and told them to do? Wash each other's feet. That one got happily left off. But my point is that we just kind of dump the convenient ones that we don't want to do. You know, who wants to come on Sundays and just wash everyone's feet? Okay, I'm not trying to, again, I know I, I, have, a, I have a tendency to, to be sarcastic, and that's probably not helpful, but let me just deal with the ma- one other major objection or two. Everyone always brings up, Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into all the nations baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, um, first of all, the Greek there is baptizing. It's not baptizing with the name or even baptizing in the name. It's baptizing into the name in Greek. The word ice, the Greek word ice. Baptizing them into, and the name is not just the title of God. It's not like baptizing them in water, and while you do it, speak the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not what he said. He said baptize them into the name, which is, as you see in so many other places, the name is... The, the nature, the living being, the virtue, the power, the attributes, it's the very being of God. You're being baptized into the name. And this is what the, this is what the apostles were sent to do because that was Christ's baptism. As many as had been baptized into Christ had put on Christ. 
and someone says, someone objects and said, how in the world can, can an apostle baptize into Christ? Isn't that a work of the Spirit? And the answer to that is yes, but everything that Christ commissioned them to do was a work of the Spirit. Their, their faith was a work of the Spirit. Their healings were a work of the Spirit. Their ministry was supposed to be, and was in the beginning, a work of the Spirit. Their love was a work of the Spirit. Their faith, every, everything was a work of the Spirit. You know, when he said, go out and heal the sick, that was obviously a work of the Spirit too. But that wasn't, wasn't something that came from them, but it was something that happened out from those who were walking abiding in Christ, walking by faith. And incidentally, Jesus himself says in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, this is before the ascension, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. Now here's Jesus making a really important distinction, okay? For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has appointed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power to do what? Power to baptize with water? Is that what is that what he's talking? I mean, think what did he just say? Is that they're going to receive power to baptize with water? That doesn't make any sense. They're going to receive the they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and bapt, and given power to in in a very manifest way to baptize others with the same power, which is exactly what you see them doing, laying on their hands. In the beginning, this was part of the signs and the wonders that accompanied the breaking forth of the gospel and baptizing them in the Spirit. Now, they also, I know that they also, at least in some occasions, baptized with water as well. Or, seeing that God had baptized them in the Spirit, said, why should we withhold water from them? And I, and I know that there was, again, that overlap going on there. But, if you look at what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Spirit, and you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And someone says, is it possible that they misunderstood Jesus here about this and just kept doing water? Well, I don't know what they understood and what they what, what they understood and what they misunderstood and what they did for conscience sake or for, for people's misunderstandings and what they did for their own misunderstandings, I don't know. But I can tell you that they definitely misunderstood part of what Jesus said here because he said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And they definitely, for a lot of years, misunderstood that part, thinking that it only belonged to Israel, to the natural Jew and not to the spiritual Jew. So they missed that part for sure. Whether they missed the nature of the baptism or part of that, for a while too, I don't know. I'll let, leave that for you to, to, to judge. But it's clear that Jesus wanted them to go out and perform a, a, a variety of outward physical signs of the presence and power of His Spirit living and reigning in them as the commencement of the new covenant, part of which was 
the baptizing of the Holy Spirit that came through the laying on of hands. That's what someone actually offered to buy from Peter. You remember that? Hey, how did you guys do that? You know, here's 15 shillings. Can you give me the power to lay my hands on people and baptize them in the Spirit? I don't know where you guys got that, but I'd like it. You know, Simon the Sorcerer did that. Another thing just that I'll point out, and I'll wrap up with this, is that if they did understand Jesus to be talking to them about baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with water and just saying those three names, which is what we do today, how come nobody did that? And you never one time see anyone baptizing them and saying, I baptize you in the Father, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That never one time happens. They just baptize them in water, and that's it. They baptize them in the name of Christ. So is that what they understood they were supposed to do? Honestly, I kind of doubt it. I think that they kind of continued with the water baptism for the same reason they continued with some of the other outward signs, the one passing away in their hearts, the other replacing it. And there came a time, obviously in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul was done doing the sign. He was glad he hadn't done it very much. He was, he, had, he was not baptizing with water. He was plainly at that point saying, Christ didn't even send me to baptize with water. You know, and I'm glad I only did a few of you guys. It was a physical demonstration. It was a physical testimony for a while of an inward reality. And when the perfect came, they put off the imperfect. When there was a true understanding of the substance, they started to let go of the shadows. Jesus' ministration, Jesus' baptism was increasing, John's baptism was decreasing, and so it should be with us. That's how I'll, how I'll wrap it up. So.